You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. I'm hopeful that this moment allows people to recognize how important small businesses are in their community, how important Main Street really is, not only to the value of Main Street and their quality of life, the value of their home as well. The fact that there are businesses employing people who live down the street are all hugely important to us. Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. Fidelity is committed to helping clients through any market conditions with financial planning and advice when you need it most. Learn more at fidelity.com. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody. I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for being with me today and for sticking with us during these tough times. We know things are rough out there for millions of Americans, many of whom have lost jobs, some of whom have lost loved ones, some facing tough decisions about pushing back a retirement date or keeping a business afloat. I think that many of us, if not most of us, have entrepreneurs in our lives in some capacity. And Virtually all of the ones that I know are at least a little worried. According to a special report from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce on coronavirus and small business, 54% of all small businesses report that they're closed or could close in the coming weeks. That is astonishing when you consider that we are a nation of small businesses, and many believe that their businesses might close down permanently. It's unbelievable. And when I keep looking for small business advice and small business information on what's going on in the moment, because you all know that this is changing day by day, moment by moment, I keep finding myself turning to Inc. Magazine. They're doing incredible content these days. And I know that that is very much due to the fact that Scott Omalonic, who has been there for only a couple of months, is running the ship. Inc. Magazine is the magazine for small business. It's often referred to as the small business Bible. And Scott is with me today. You guys have really stepped it up. And I just want to say, you know, as a small business owner, thank you for that. It's my pleasure, and, and thank you for thinking that we're doing a good job. We're trying. We have a core of reporters and editors almost around the clock trying to find out what's going on federally, on the state level, even in private enterprise, to help entrepreneurs across America. And, and you're right. That is, is our mission, um, and it's our privilege. So let's approach this from a couple of different perspectives. First, we all want to help, Right. What can we, what should we be doing to help the small businesses in our lives succeed during this downturn? Yeah, I think I read somewhere that, you know, if we don't help small businesses in our own communities when we exit the world we're in right now, we may only have two or three retailers to turn to, right? And I think we know who those those folks are. If you want more than that, I think it's important to first not let out of sight be out of mind. I think uh, little encouragement to uh, local businesses in, in whatever way you can is useful. I, I know that having been an entrepreneur myself, there are a lot of lonely, dark moments, even when business is good, right? So yeah. when business is bad, 
and you're looking for that uh, next customer to walk through the door, but the door is locked, even a phone call or a note uh, is going to make a difference if it's someone you're friendly with, right? Um, it makes a difference. Um, I know that I have a, uh, a weakness for nice clothes and I have a tailor I care deeply about and I don't want to see him go away, right? And obviously I, I work in my pajamas now like most of America. So, so I, don't, I, I don't need those clothes, um, but I, I hope to one day. And, and so I, I, I knew that he had some work to do for me. I called him and asked him if I could Venmo him the money now. I know I'm gonna pay him uh, eventually, the money that he's getting now is for me is, is going to in small part help him pay his rent this month right and i think we all can do that the, the idea of uh, not uh, you know paying it's a different kind of paying it forward right um yeah writing the check now if you're capable of it and i understand not everyone is capable of it but those of us who are paying in advance is not a, a terrible thing to do right now we use a car service. It's a local car service. I live in the suburbs of New York, as as many of my listeners know, and travel a lot for work during normal times and use this car service started by a guy who now has a couple of other people who work for him. And I know I'm going to use them when business picks back up. So I did very much the same thing. I'm wondering, though, about maybe the small businesses that we patronize most often, which are the restaurants and the food stores. How do you feel about takeout during these times or are you more of a gift card kind of a guy? <laughs> um, I have to admit that we've not had takeout since I uh, left my office to work from home when I myself got sick, though I don't know it, it was COVID. Um, but I was quite sick for a few days about a month ago. Um, and I have not ordered takeout uh, since then. I have read repeatedly that ordering takeout is a completely safe option. Um, you might take some care with the packaging, but otherwise it's completely safe. And food service, by the way, is one of the places where uh, contamination has always been an issue. So uh, they're most uh, comfortable dealing uh, with, with the precautions that need to be taken. We have a lot of neighbors who order every night right now. They can't go to the restaurant, but they can order out, right? The restaurants are closed where I live, but they're open for takeout and ordering. and um, they're uh, upping the tips they would give the drivers. They're ordering a little bit more and having it for lunch the next day. And I think that um, makes a difference. Some of the restaurants uh, here as well are offering grocery delivery, curbside delivery, uh, right? So the food services that they would use to stock the restaurants that they used to have people in, they're still trying to use, but instead of making that food and having it consumed in the restaurant, they're selling it to people who would drive up to the curb outside the restaurant and, and buy it from them there. So that's another option. And by the way, I would say that if these things aren't happening in your community, you have a voice and you can use it to, to see that some of them can, right? If, if you don't have that curbside option, if no one's thought of that, no reason not to suggest it. When we're looking at the fact that we have so many choices in shopping online these days, should we be looking to again support small local businesses rather than just, I mean, ordering from Amazon is the easiest thing in the world, right? You just click and depending on what it is, you may get it quickly or you may not these days. But should we be thinking that shouldn't be our default? Yeah, at, at Inc, we recommend calling the small business that might have the product you're looking for and seeing if there's a way to have it delivered through them, and, and many are. Right? So it might not our first impulse, right? Amazon is a great search engine and I go there all the time, but you might think about instead of 
ordering that extra uh, earpiece for your phone through Amazon because you need it for work because you've just worn the other one out because you're working from home, seeing if there's a local shop that you can get to, even leave a message at and ask if you can buy it through them. We see a lot of people who are closed, you know, officially, but still able to do business behind locked doors and still be able to deliver. And I think that in and of itself makes a big difference. Well, and that's what enables people to keep their employees employed. I was reading a very optimistic story today about Madison Reed, the hair color company, because like many women, I'm petrified that I'm going to come out of this with roots of all sorts of colors. You don't have that problem, but I certainly do. And so, because I usually go to the salon and I get my hair done. And, uh, and so I ordered a Madison Reed kit and we've had Amy Arrett, the founder on our show. And I read a story about her this morning that she had opened 12 different coloring salons around the country. But when this happened, she shut those down and put those colorists to work on the phone lines, answering questions of petrified consumers like me who are afraid that we are going to come out with orange hair. Can we only say I don't have a roots problem because I have no hair at all, right? right. Um, so, so, but I, I'd be there right, right there with you if I did. I, I think, I think um, all entrepreneurs have to think about. Look, you did not get to be an entrepreneur by not being creative and not being a problem solver. Um, now you have a different kind of problem. And she's shown that she solved the problem of keeping employees employed, which I think is incredibly important. It's something every uh, business owner has to think about. Um, by being creative. I would encourage people to see how they can redeploy the people who work for them right now, right? Because we don't know how long this is going to last. It could end quickly. It could take longer. But the fact is, if you have good employees in a small business in particular, they're, they're, they're sort of as much family as they are employees often. And it's not going to be easy to get someone else, but you can't assume they're going to come right back to you when this is all over. And you have to think about the cost of hiring and training new people. So we've recommended, you know, exploring the the, the legalities around furloughing employees. So at the very least, they can keep uh, their benefits. We've looked at companies that have done across the board salary reductions. So everyone stays employed, but uh, and can stay employed for longer, but just at a more subsistence uh, level. I think all of these things are important. You know, uh, medicine is seeing a explosion of, of new technology in telemedicine, right? And this is a place where doctors who and other healthcare people who, who might have their offices closed because uh, they're not dealing directly with COVID or emergency medicine um, can still provide advice. My wife is a women's health nurse practitioner. Her office essentially has closed, but she's working in telemedicine now, at least in the short term. And I think that's great. It's the creativity that all entrepreneurs have just deployed in a new way to solve a different problem. And I think if you're that person, you have to remain as optimistic as possible and know you've gotten through difficult things before. If you've been in business for more than 10 years, you dealt with the financial crisis. If you've been in business for more than 20 years, you've dealt with 9-11, right? This is not the first time we've faced very frightening circumstances and we've managed to get through them. And I think we will uh, this way. And, and, and by being somewhat optimistic, by being very practical, I, I should say that too, it's, it's kind of important to do the things that make us uncomfortable, make me uncomfortable, actually look at my bank balance, right? And know how much cushion is in there or not doing those things now rather than when it's too late, really important. 
You mentioned a couple of terms that I think people just weren't familiar with before this crisis hit. And I, I want to talk about them from the perspective of, of small business, but also from the perspective of being an employee. What's it mean when you're furloughed versus being laid off? You know, in my understanding, and I wish I had one of my reporters here because they'd be much better at acknowledging, is essentially you maintain your employed status without a salary and you're able to draw your benefits uh, still. There are legalities around this that I don't fully understand. And you certainly can talk to your accountant or even visit Inc.com, shameless plug, but we have the information there. And it's a way of more easily returning to office uh, after this is over. It's a way of maintaining your benefits. And really it's down to the, the, the business owner to understand their responsibility in this circumstance, right? And, and I would say that it's almost always, despite the Payroll Protection Act, if you can take advantage of that, obviously that's the, the first step. And I understand even um, as we speak, there's another $500 million bill on the table in the Senate um, for women, minority, and veteran-owned businesses to, to make sure they, they get their piece of the stimulus package as well. I think there will continue to be lots of money out there. Private businesses are, are providing money, right? Google and Facebook have big funds they've created for grants. There's a, a, a lot to explore. And, and um, in that exploration, you might find the answer. So th that's what I would say. Look at your financials long-term, start exploring now so you can make the right decision when you have to. I want to take a, a quick breather and just remind everybody that Her Money and Important Conversations Like This is sponsored by Fidelity Investments. For more than 70 years, investors have relied on Fidelity to help plan for their financial futures. And as always, when the unexpected happens, Fidelity is there to help you work through it with financial planning, with advice for what you need today and tomorrow, helping to make it all clear. To see how Fidelity can help you and your family on the path forward, visit fidelity.com. I am talking with Scott O'Malonic, editor-in-chief of Inc. Magazine. All right. You waded into the PPP territory before we took that little breather. And let me just say, you know, I've been looking at it myself. Her money is a small business. It is frustrating and confusing because it's difficult to figure out where you can apply when banks are either not accepting applications or only accepting applications from their current clients. A number of big banks have not even put their applications up yet. I mean, it, it's, it's daunting. So what are you hearing from the folks that you're working with about the best way to get through this process? So I think the first thing to say is that information is changing constantly, right? So what, what we believe to be true today changes tomorrow. Uh, last night, for example, I heard that there was going to be, the Treasury Department was going to waive a rule uh, essentially um, for, for, for balance sheets for banks that opened up their lending to more, right? I've seen certain banks um, say no to people who don't have a line of credit with them already, right? Which is essentially hurting a business that actually has, has shown itself to be bootstrapped and solvent on its own its entire time, right? And it's unfortunate that it happens. I would look to community banks uh, if your traditional lender doesn't help you. There are a lot of people now who are looking for new clients for the future, not thinking about this in a purely transactional way, but thinking of it in a more human way. And I think that's important. 
I can't stress enough how much the information changes day by day. And we literally post a story on Inc.com and a couple of hours later have to update it because new guidance has come from the Treasury Department. Banks have changed their minds about particular things. There are uh, direct lenders, banks themselves. There are fintech firms that are taking applications from people and then passing them on to banks. You have to decide what's best for you in those circumstances, right? Like I would describe that as sort of the, like a mortgage broker middleman kind of thing. We're probably more familiar with mortgage brokers, most people are, or the example where your bank might sell your mortgage to another company, right? So there are fintech firms that are doing this uh, now, not lenders themselves. But if they are doing it, you should make sure that it's clear they're connected to a lender, that they're not just taking your application information as data mining. So they know who you are and they know your numbers and your social security and keeping it for some other reason, right? You wanna see that they have a, a contract with a bank to deliver on the money you're looking for. Um, and don't think just because you're shut out the first time, uh, you will be again. As I said, right, right now, another bill for another $500 million worth of stimulus um, being considered, which will open up a whole new opportunity for people. I understand, though, it's daunting. And we are actually working on a um, explainer to help people through each of these things. And hopefully, once we get that done, it, it will help people. But again, don't expect it to stay, stay the same. It's going to change again yet. What do you think looking out into the future, the world looks like as small businesses start to come back from this, as we all start to come back from this, when things start to reopen? I'm really hopeful, actually. I'm hopeful that this moment allows people to recognize how important small businesses are in their community, how important Main Street really is, not only to the value of Main Street and their quality of life, the value of their home as well. The fact that there are businesses employing people who live down the street are all hugely important to us. And, you know, it's not just that business of one or two people we're talking about. We interacted with companies of 500 employees who are having this same exact problem. So I'm hopeful that we all come away with this, uh, an awareness that this place matters and we'll do what we can to make sure it it stays this way. Scott Omolonik from Inc. Magazine, we will keep following your coverage. Thanks so much for spending time with me. My pleasure, Jean. Thanks so much. All right. You take care and we will be right back with Catherine and your mailbag. Her money's Catherine Tuggle joins me now from 30 miles away. Hi, Catherine. <laughs> Hi, Jean. I know we are, we are all so far flung. So we are doing our social distancing thing. Scott let us know that he was in his closet, which I happen to know is in Hoboken, New Jersey. Oh, that's I'm in, good. I'm in Westchester. You are in New York City. On the Upper East Side. Yep. Where I'm assuming a lot of people are worried about how you're doing. Yeah. Well, my family in Alabama, you know, it's daily hourly text messages to check in on us, but the grocery stores are open. We're cooking at home. We're working from home. So, you know, I, I think, I think really unless you're sick or unless one of your inner circle is sick, it feels just very slow in a way. It's slow and yet not slow sometimes. So last week flew for me. And this week has been like molasses. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I also think the longer we stay in quarantine, the more monotonous it's going to get. Yeah. No question. 
Yeah. No question. It's interesting you mentioned cooking because when Scott started talking about the artisanal cookware company, I wonder if people will continue to cook. I mean, people who have never cooked are cooking. And I'm sure some of them hate it, but some of them probably have found that they like it or are pretty good at it. I wonder what that's going to do to our food trends over time. Yeah, and to the economy as a whole in terms of the swiftness of the economic recovery. Because if even just 10% more people decide that they're going to cook at home rather than go out, that's going to impact the number of jobs that then come back to the economy. So it's so interesting to think how all of this is going to impact the economy and our lives over the course of the next decade. You are absolutely right. And on that note, I, I know that our first letter in the mailbag is actually from somebody who has a restaurant or a cafe. Let's, let's talk about what's going on with them. Yeah, absolutely. Our first note is from Julie and George Williams. They write, Dear Jean, we have a small cafe, the Beach Bum Bagel Cafe in Vero Beach, Florida, that we opened December 24th, 2019. Our only employees are the two of us, and we are incorporated as an LLC. Since we were still in the process of getting our business off the ground, we haven't been taking paychecks. Unfortunately, business is down by 70% due to coronavirus, but our bills remain the same, including rent, utilities, and credit cards. We accrued credit card debt in opening our business, and the goal was to have it paid off within six months, but it doesn't look like that's going to be a realistic goal. We've expanded our business hours to working seven days a week in order to stay afloat, but that is also proving to be a challenge. The bank we use is not open to the public, so I'm having a hard time getting in touch with anyone for assistance. What should we do and where should we start? Thank you so much. So I'm a little unsure about your ability to apply for the Paycheck Protection Program because you haven't been taking paychecks, because you haven't been paying yourself. The way that this program works, the amount that you are able to borrow and then have forgiven has a lot to do with the payroll and covering the payroll for your staff. So I would start by talking to your bank or credit union or accountant about whether they think that you might be a good candidate for that. Because if they do, that might give you the sort of lifeline that you need. The other thing, though, that we know is that people whose work has been interrupted even part-time are able to apply for unemployment and that those unemployment payments are more substantial than they would have been before the CARES Act went through. Unemployment benefits were expanded by a good 13 weeks in every state, which is significant in and of itself. But then the federal government is throwing $600 per week in until the end of July. And that, I think, could help both of you. Usually, People who are independent contractors, sole proprietors are not eligible, but they are in this case. And so I would probably apply for both unemployment and the PPP in the state of Florida and see what happens. If you get those PPP funds, I'd be a little bit careful about how you use them because things that don't go to payroll have to be repaid for sure, the vast majority of them. Only I believe it's 25% can be used for rent and other expenses. 
But I think both of those things may be a decent avenue to tide you over for a bit. And as Scott said, I would also keep your eyes open for other packages to come through Congress with additional funding. Great. Our next note comes to us from Barbara. She writes, Hi, Jean. I'm a 68-year-old single woman. I own my New York City apartment valued at approximately $1 million and a waterfront home in Long Island valued at $1.2 million. I have no mortgages. Up until last month, I had nearly $1 million in retirement assets. As luck would have it, I'm in the middle of an addition onto my home in Long Island, but all of my income-producing work has come to a screeching halt. I still need to complete the renovation, which is going to cost another $45,000. What would you suggest I do? Many thanks. Thank you so much for writing. I'm, you know, I feel for every person in every one of these situations. And Barbara, if you've been listening, you know that I am in the midst of a real estate conundrum myself trying to figure out if we're going to move, when we're going to move. It's shut down an awful lot of things. I would probably look to take the $45,000 out in a home equity line of credit. I think that's going to be the easiest thing for you to do even though your income producing work has come to a screeching halt, it sounds to me reading between the lines like it's of the sort that you would be able to substantiate going back a few months and the $1 million in retirement assets could throw off enough income because of your age to get you to that $45,000. The other thing that you may want to look at is Social Security. I mean, you are of full retirement age. You didn't say whether you had elected to start Social Security. Typically, if you didn't need the money, I would say wait until age 70. But look at the differences between your payout today and your payout in a year or year and a half and see if it might be worth it to you to just pull the trigger on that benefit now. That may give you the comfort that you need to get through this time. That's great advice, Jean. Thank you. Sure. Our last note comes from Carrie. She writes, my husband was due to start a new job on April 1st, but due to coronavirus and the economic downturn, his start date has now been suspended indefinitely. He's already begun interviewing for other options, but things are slow. He earned 70% of our household income, and at this point, we don't know how long he'll be out of work. All of this happened at the same time we just signed a contract to build a new home, but thankfully, we were able to back out of that deal with no penalty, and we're now renting. We currently pay $2,000 a month in rent, and I earn $50,000 per year as a social worker. Do you think we would be better off purchasing a small home with a mortgage of around $150,000, leaving us with a cash reserve of $50,000? Or do you think we should continue to rent and keep a larger cash reserve on hand for now? With rent at $2,000 a month, my job will not pay all our monthly bills, but with an affordable mortgage on the home of closer to $1,000 a month, it would be tight but possible. We're both 50 years old and have a 17-year-old at home and a 19-year-old in college. What do you think? Thank you so much. So I ran some numbers for you, and I'm sure you've done the very same thing for yourself. If you took out a $150,000 mortgage right now, uh, you'd probably pay an interest rate of about 3.5%. I'm guessing based on the fact that you say that your cash cushion would be depleted, you'll be putting down more than 20%, which means that you won't have PMI, but you will have taxes, you will have insurance. The cost of living at that 
rate is substantially lower than the cost of renting. The cost of buying is much, much cheaper than the cost of renting. And so I think from a numbers perspective, it makes a whole lot of sense. The question is, does it make sense from a life perspective? You're at a point where your kids are almost out of the house. So is this a place where you think you could stay for a considerable amount of time? If it is, I would say, yeah, I'd go ahead and buy something and I'd keep my eyes out for bargains. What I am hearing about the real estate market right now is that although we expected that it would be a seller's market this spring, it has very quickly morphed into a buyer's market. And so you may be able to get more value for that place than you expected. But I wouldn't do it if you're doing it just to get you through this crisis. If this is something where you really don't want to live in the kind of house that you could buy for that money long term, then I would stick with your current rental plan for at least another couple of months and see if your husband is able to find some work to get you through this point in time. That's great advice. And it's so interesting to see the numbers like that laid out, right? It really brings it home, the difference between renting and buying. Well, right now with interest rates so low, it's so much cheaper to buy than to rent in many, many cases. But I think the best advice that I have heard through this entire crisis, financial advice, is that you don't want to use a long-term solution to solve a short-term problem. So they're in a cash crunch, right? And they're in a cash crunch for however long it takes her husband to find work. And that could be a year, but it could also just be a few months. A mortgage is a 30-year commitment. Buying a house, even if you buy a less expensive house, means you've got the cost of moving and you've got the cost of furnishing and you've got the cost of upkeep. And it's a long-term decision. And so I think any time that you can avoid making a very long-term decision, like taking Social Security earlier than you thought you might to solve what is essentially a short-term crisis, you should do that. Right. And given the age of their children, they may have different plans when the kids are both in college. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I know a lot of parents who don't want to move as soon as the kids are both out of the house and both in college because they want the kids to have a place to come home on breaks or during coronavirus. But yeah, this is not the time to shake up your long-term plans because you are under a little bit or even a lot of financial pressure unless you absolutely have to. Right. Thanks so um, much. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for gathering these questions. And I wanted to dig in in today's Thrive to the fact that since coronavirus hit, we have all felt this combination of emotions, including anxiety and worry and grief. And although grief is typically a term that's associated with the loss of a loved one, it's important to understand that it can mean many, many things. Because of coronavirus. And this is information that I found from a wonderful article in the Harvard Business Review. We are feeling 
grief over the loss of normalcy. We're grieving the loss of a schedule, the loss of community, and the loss of control. And in addition to the grief that you're feeling over the life that you've temporarily lost, you might also be feeling anticipatory grief, which is the emotional fear of things that you could lose in the coronavirus pandemic. Whatever it is you're mourning, you should know that it's normal and that it's important that you honor the things that you're feeling. Fortunately, there are a few things that we can do to stay calm and to keep our emotions in check during quarantine. For example, develop and stick to a routine and a daily schedule. This can give us a sense of control and purpose. Limit your exposure to the news and the media. Too much of it is overwhelming. It just makes us anxious. Connect with people regularly via phone calls, FaceTime, Skype. It's important to remain emotionally connected while still physically distancing. Try, as you were saying earlier, Catherine, and as Scott was saying, to engage in self-care, whatever that means for you. That should certainly include eating well and sleeping enough. Try to find a TV show, a podcast, a book, another outlet that will offer you some distance from the current reality because we all need breaks and remain hopeful. Things will change and you should think about how you'll weave the current state of events into your life story. And if you are feeling down, head over to our Her Money private Facebook group to connect with thousands of women whose insight and sense of humor are sure to brighten your spirits or to our Her Money Instagram account that is filled with fun and inspiring content to get you through. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Scott O'Malanek for joining us too and for giving us an excellent rundown on how we can support the small businesses in our lives and what entrepreneurs can do to stay afloat. If you like what you hear, I hope that you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We also want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Ordinarily, we would record our podcast out of CDM Sound Studios, but today we are using Zoom and a Yeti mic from the comfort of our homes. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through PRX. Tune in next week. We'll be back with another great Her Money guest. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll talk soon.